you know, they say about an iceberg, only one ninth of it is above the surface, but it's like that in the dead. A huge amount of what happens in the story depends on what you bring to it as a kind of a set of cultural readings. But all those layers are there, and all of them, I think, have been very carefully and subtly plotted by Joyce. Joyce described the dead as a ghost story. Joyce himself was shadowed by the premature death of his own mother, May, and seeing the family's decline into poverty. Joyce famously met his love, Nora Barnacle, in Dublin in June 1904, and while the Morkins and Fifteen Ushers Island come from his memories, he took some of Nora's memories to shape Michael Fury, the young man whose love and death haunts Gabriel's wife, Greta. Nora had told Joyce about her own early life in Galway, and a boy called Sonny Bodkin, who had, though ill, come out at night to stand beneath her window before she was sent away. Sonny, like Michael Fury in the story, dies later. But while Fury is the ghost that haunts the story, and the marriage of Gabriel and Greta, the story also allows the city's past to shadow the present. Kevin Whelan. If you did it in the simple form of a chart, you would find all these references back to the 1690s, the references to the Back Lane Parliament in 1792, the reference to the Duke of Wellington and his monument, um, you know, which summons the French Wars, the references to Daniel O'Connell, the references to the famine. So, you know, all the different layers, the different cumulative layers which have kind of created modern Ireland and created the modern city. It's almost as if Joyce is putting down probes every so often and that the energies the the unfinished energies from those episodes is still bubbling away there and that they can almost come to the surface as you hit particular nodes so you know when you say king billy's statue suddenly there's a probe which goes right down to the 1690s when you hit the daniel o'connell monument you're back into the period of catholic emancipation all the different bits of the city all the different elements of the geography all the monuments all the places which have historic resonances all the time it's almost as if they're kind of vibrating and it's almost as if you tune your ear in you can kind of get on that frequency of the past and that dublin is a city which is living with this buried but unquiet history beneath, which can kind of resurface in volcanic and explosive and almost violent ways, so that this rather drab, grey, provincial little city on the edge of Europe has also got this other kind of buried life beneath it. And that's really what Joyce is a master of summing in the dead. Just as Gabriel feels the vast hosts of the dead gathered around him, so we become conscious of an older city that runs beneath the surface. Today, the modernist James Joyce Bridge fronts 15 Ushers Island, but from it, you look towards Croppy's Acre, the memorial to 1798, which the story references. History's circles are marked in the statues of the story and the tale of Gabriel's grandfather, Patrick Morgan's horse, circling King Billy's statue, now long gone from College Green. Kevin Whelan and Declan Kybird. That's what I find most impressive in Joyce, is that this young man in his 20s in writing The Dead had already this extraordinary command of the cultural history of his country, and not just the ability to summon it, but the ability to critique it. And of course, it then leads to Joyce's own decision to leave the country, because he understands that if he kind of stays in, he too will become trapped in the endless circle of repetition summoned by Patrick Morgan's horse going around King Billy's statue that he himself has to kind of, as it were, rise above it, fly beyond it. So many of the figures in Dubliners walk in circles. Gabriel even walks in a circle in his aunt's hallway. And what I think Joyce was doing was saying, 
that history should be a straight line taking you towards the self, towards something definite, but that in Ireland too often it is merely circular, it's repetitive, it doesn't actually allow you freedom. His obsession with statues, I think, is perhaps part of that as well. The horse walks in the dead around a statue in this hopeless, pointless circle. There's a sense in which, you know, Gabriel is equated to statues in his deadness. The dead is essentially about the Catholic middle classes, more shadowed by Daniel O'Connell than Charles Stuart Parnell. The story is set around a feast barely 50 years after the famine which had stripped the land. The concept of a feast... A Last Supper is something taken up by Kevin Whelan, who sees the symbolism of a post-famine culture in the story. The famine is there in many, many references, even the snow, that famous passage about the snow. Snow was always a psychological symbol of the ravages of the famine. It's in a famous song by Thomas Moore, O Ye Dead, which possibly gave Joyce his title for the story, which is again about the wild geese, and it's about the ghosts of the dead wild geese on the continent coming back into the west of Ireland. And this marvellous song by Moore talks about them having then to go, that they're constantly exiled, estranged. And Joyce was really fascinated by the way that that song summoned the back and forth between the past and the present between the continent and Ireland and about the sense of exile as being somehow a kind of a psychological death. But again, it's summoned by this idea of being frozen in ice and snow. The tensions between the emerging Gaelic nationalist movement and the bourgeois Catholic middle class is played out in the dead through the dance and teasing chat between Gabriel and Molly Ivers, the self-confident young woman who embodies both the Gaelic and nationalist revival. Her taunt of West Britain rattles Gabriel, yet it's to continental Europe he is looking rather than England. Mary Daly, Declan Kybird and Geraldine Meany. The person who really pushes the term West Britain out is this man D.P. Moran who edited a periodical called The Leader. And Moran started looking at Ireland in all kinds of ways and he, he wrote stuff that has in hindsight been seen by some as very racist. But he was the man who used the term West Britain and what he's saying is those who ape the manners and the mores of England, the English middle class. Uh, one of the debates going on was how to advance the Irish language in a realisation that if it's going to be advanced it really had to get into the middle class. So you do get them conflicted in a sense. Gabriel has a whole series of unsatisfactory exchanges and then he is somehow wrong-footed, literally and metaphorically, while dancing with Miss Ivers about his position on Gaelic Ireland and the West in general. He is incredibly sensitive about all this. For instance, when someone says to him about his wife Greta that she's from the West, he says her people are. I think it has to do with the West, with wildness with the idea that she comes from a world that he doesn't really understand, but that he must understand if he is to be a full human being, and that Joyce feels he must understand if he's to be an artist. There are moments earlier in the story when Gabriel says things like, you know, I'm sick of my country, heartily sick of it, when he doesn't just repudiate Ireland, but he specifically repudiates the West, which, of course, Yeats was telling that generation was real Ireland. So there's a kind of fascination stroke repulsion with the West, which is mediated through his relation to Greta. She's not from the West, but her people are. But at the same time, he's haunted by all this. And there is a sense in which the story is read as a kind of allegory for Ireland itself. And the very 
final line, the snow falling faintly through the universe upon all the living and the dead, takes the story way beyond Gabriel's personal dilemma. And it makes it a dilemma for the city. It makes it a dilemma for all of us. But it also makes it a particularly Irish dilemma because the relationship which is mapped out is between Gabriel and Michael Fury, between the East and the West, between a Dublin striving forward and a West which is portrayed as always already dead within the story. Molly Ivers may want Gabriel to go there to engage with it, but of course the West he would be engaging with is an intellectual construct of cultural nationalists like Molly Ivers, not that real and rather terrible, cold, deathly place where no future was possible for Greta or for Michael Fury. Many people believe that Miss Ivers is based on one of the Sheehy sisters who in fact became the mother of Conor Cruz O'Brien. But she seems, the character in the story, to have a kind of subversive energy and a mockery of Gabriel's would-be gentility that suggests to me that she has a whiff of the future, the future that will be 1916 and 1921, and that in some way he represents a kind of attempt at gentility that was fragile and was blown away by subsequent Irish history. Much of what we know about the writing of Dubliners, and the dead in particular, is thanks to Joyce's brother Stanislaus. Dr Luca Crispy is the Joycean scholar working on the Joyce manuscripts at the National Library. All of the stories of Dubliners are extremely well crafted, and they survive because of Stanislaus Joyce's willingness to hold on to everything that his brother wrote and kept letters, manuscripts, books. When Joyce left Trieste, he left behind his library and famously a trunk of manuscripts. Some of that was returned to Joyce, specifically the the material he needed to continue writing Ulysses, so the material that, that he was still actively engaged on. But the things that he had written previously, for example, Dubliners and Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man and earlier works, remained with Stanislaus, and he kept them very um, diligently and in, in a very iconic way he maintained an archive of Joyce, and this was unknown for a very long time until Richard Elman met Stanislaus, interviewed Stanislaus, and realized that he had this very rich archive. Now other people were also very interested in Stanislaus's collection, specifically John Slocum, the great bibliographer and collector of Joyce material. He went to Trieste, met Stanislaus, and slowly um, began acquiring this material. These included the only manuscripts we have for Dubliners, including the fair copy draft of the dead. The Slocum collection is now at Yale University in the US, but Crispy sees the potential for Ireland through the National Library to become the new global centre for Joyce research. Ireland and the National Library specifically has become the centre of new research on James Joyce. The stunning new material in the National Library of Ireland is of great interest to scholars around the world, but it fits into a larger network of material that's already in repositories in Buffalo, New York, at Yale, at the Harry Ransom Centre at Austin, for example, at Cornell University. To make sense of the National Library's collection, it must be seen in the wider network of all of Joyce's works around the world. But Ireland has the unique ability to be the leader in this field because this is absolutely new material and will generate a great deal of further continuing interest in James Joyce. Mm -hmm.